0: Om Namo Bhagavate Sri Chalaramanaya uh, Namaskaram. Today I'm going to be talking about verses six and seven of Uddharnapuana Bandham. Both of these verses, like all the earlier verses, are verses but Bhagavan translated from uh, Sanskrit. The source that that is the original Sanskrit verse of verse 6, is uh, the verse is known, but where it comes from is not known. That is, in Sanskrit, there are many verses, but uh well-known verses, but have no particular uh, source. So this is one such verse. Uh, the next verse, verse 7, I think is a translation of a verse by Adi Shankara. So we'll start with verse 6. Um, what, uh, what Bhagavan says in this verse is, um it's a both of these verses are question and answers uh, um, who is asking a question who is giving you answers is not um is not clearly uh, stated in verse six, but the implication it's a guru and a disciple so the uh, um, b- b- verses uh that means who is God? The reply is "A manum teruban that, uh, 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 that that the answer is another question uh, asked by the guru who knows the mind the implication is that the one who knows the mind is god um to that the um the disciple asks en manum aviyam ennal ar- Ari um, Padome. That is uh, that means my mind is known only by me, who am the soul. Uh, avi means soul or spirit. Um, and then the guru replies, um Devani Ahume, ahayal, Akum Srutiyal Ekan Am Devane Endru. That is that the order of words in the verse, but it, to make it intelligible in prose, we have to do what is called anvayam, That is, we have to put it in a, a natural prose order. So, in the prose order of this, uh, natural prose order of this, uh, this final uh, sentence is, "Aheal um davena ekam Andrew sruti akumal uh, Deva ni ahume. What that means is, uh, therefore, since Sruti, um, uh, Sruti means the Vedas, since the Veda's roar, uh, God alone is the one, you are actually God. Um, if you try to ex- uh, explain that this a little, that is, the disciple asks, Who is God? Guru replies with the question, Who knows the mind? Uh, he's thereby, Guru is thereby implying that the one who, know, who knows the mind is God. The disciple replies, My mind is known only by me, who am the Avi, the, the soul or spirit. And Guru then says, Therefore, since Shruti, namely the Vedas, are raw or declare emphatically, God is the one, implying that the one who actually exists is only God. So he is uh, one only without a second, ekam eva advitium, as is said in uh, I think it's in the Chandokya Upanishad. And hence nothing other but uh, and hence nothing can be other than him. Since he alone exists, he's one without a second, nothing can be other than him. Uh, so you are actually God. Uh this is the idea of this verse. Um This seems to imply that God knows, uh, God here um, implies Brahman. Um, uh, uh, So this verse implies that Brahman knows the mind. That is not actually the case, as Bhagavan made clear. What knows the mind is only ourself as ego, but the reality of ego is God. So that is what this verse is pointing at. That is the reality but lies behind that which knows the mind is God. That doesn't mean uh, God or Brahman actually knows the mind, but he is the reality of the knower. The knower is ego. Ego is the adjunct conflated awareness. I am this body. The reality of ego is the pure awareness I am. That is, ego is a conflation of the pure awareness I am. And, uh, a set of adjuncts uh, namely this body and all associated adjuncts um uh, so e- ego is a mixture of what is real and what is unreal what is sent what is aware and what is not aware that is that's why ego is called chit jada granti uh, uh chit means pure awareness jada means um what is not aware and granti means a not so they're, they're not formed by the entanglement of chit and jada. Of course, chit is never, pure awareness is never entangled with anything. But from the perspective of self as ego, our awareness seems to be now entangled with this body, which is jada, which is non-aware. So um, from the perspective of ego, um, this body, we, we, we are com- that is, ego it conflates what is real with what is unreal? What is aware with what is not aware? Um, so ego is is a is a conflation of two elements. The reality of ego is only the pure awareness I am, which is ever unaffected. The, the pure aware, even when in the view of ego, pure awareness, the, the awareness I am, seems to be mixed and conflated with this body. It's ever. Um, it's not. Never mixed with anything. It alone actually exists. It's ever. It's never touched by anything that appears and disappears. Because whatever appears and disappears, appears and disappears only in the view of the mind. So though this verse seems to imply that God knows the mind, the the deeper implication is that God is the reality of me the uh, that uh, uh, the one to whom the disciple when the disciple says en manum aviam ennal that en ennal apadom that n means my 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 mind is known by me that my or me is ego is referring to ego but the reality of ego is God that is the pure awareness i am which is the real element of ego is God that is the the deeper meaning of this verse—that is, sometimes the verses—they can, we—if we take merely the words of the verse, uh, it, they, the words seem to be implying that God knows the mind. But if we understand more deeply in the light of Bhagavan's teachings, God is the reality of that which knows the mind. That which knows the mind is only ego. Um, in, in the view of God. God alone exists. God is one only without a second. Um, th- that's the implication of the uh, sentence Devanae Ekanam. That means God alone is one or God alone is the one. It implied that God alone, God is the only one. Um, in other words, God is one without a second. So in the view of God, there is no mind, no world, nothing. This is God, not God in the sense of a personal God, but God in the in the ultimate sense of God as Brahman or Atma Sarupa, the real nature of our soul. Um, God doesn't, God as in his real nature doesn't know anything other than himself because he alone is what actually exists. But it seems, from the perspective of the Jiva, it seems that God is knowing everything. God is knowing everything because God knows the only thing. But what what we as Jeevas know as all this multiplicity, God is knowing as one, namely as himself. So uh, God is knowing everything, but not everything as many things. He knows everything as the one thing that actually exists, namely as himself. So it's, it's, it's a very deep and subtle point. Um, God know, knows the world and knows our mind, but not as we know them we know them as, as a multitude. We know the world as a multitude of physical phenomena, and the mind as a multitude of uh, mental phenomena. But God knows everything as the one thing that alone actually exists, namely himself. Um, so that is the, 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 the underlying implication of the first. If we just take the surface meaning, it gives a slightly wrong meaning. Uh, that that it, but if we understand it in the light of Bhagavan's teachings, then it is clear what it means. God is the reality of the mind, which is what uh, the reality of ego, which is what knows the mind. Here the mind means all the other thoughts um, that constitute the mind. Ego means the first thought, the thought called I. Um, so all other thoughts that constitute the mind exist only in the view of this first thought. So as Bhagavan says in verse 18 of Upadesha Undia, manam," uh, thoughts alone are mind, but all the thoughts, the thought called I, alone is the root. Therefore, what the mind essentially is, is the thought. Is this thought called I, namely ego. And uh, that's the implication of verse 18. So uh, often we use the mind in, in a in a general sense, to refer to all thoughts. But we also talk about the mind as knowing the world, the mind uh, as the knower. The mind as the knower is ego. The mind as what is known is all the other thoughts. So mind is, includes both subject and all objects. The subject is ego. All other thoughts are objects. The objects seem to exist only in the view of the subject. So, without the subject, no objects could seem to exist. This is why Bhagavan often said of all the thoughts that rise in the mind, the thought called I alone is the first. Only after this rises do other thoughts rise. That's what he says, for example, in the fifth paragraph of Nana. So, all the other thoughts of, that constitute the mind. And that the, the, the mind, all the other thoughts that constitute the mind include the whole world, because, as Bhagavan emphasizes in the fourth paragraph of, of Nana, the world is nothing but thoughts." That is, what we call the world is nothing but a series of sense impressions sights, sounds, smells, tastes and tactile sensations. This is what constitute the world as we experience. All these sense impressions are mental impressions, and any mental impression is just a thought. So there's no world other than thought. Just like the, the world we experience in a dream is a mental fabrication, so the world we experience in the waking state is a mental fabrication. It's all just a series of mental impressions. It has no existence independent of the mind. As Bhagavan emphasizes, for example, well, in so many places, but for example, he says in in verse six of Uludunapadu, um uh, the world is the five kinds of sense impressions, nothing else. There, Andrew, nothing else. Um the one mind, since one mind knows the world through the five senses, uh is there a world apart from the mind? So the, the world is nothing but ultimately, it's nothing but a series of mental impressions. Mental impressions are, are what uh, are thoughts. That Bhagavan uses the term thought in a very broad sense to mean all mental impressions or mental phenomena. So everything is mental. Um, it all. So when uh, Bhagavan talks about who knows the mind, the mind includes all the perceptions, all the Memories, everything. So the whole world is included in the mind. That is all known only by the first thought, namely ego. And ego is an is an conflated uh, form of the pure awareness. I am the pure awareness. I am alone is what actually exists. In the view of the pure awareness, I am nothing other than itself exists. But. Ego is the same awareness I am, but mixed and conflated with adjuncts as I am this body, I am this person, I am Michael, or I am Kumar, or I am whoever. So uh, uh what is what is real in ego is only the pure awareness I am. Therefore, when we investigate ourselves, what we are to investigate is only is not the, any of the adjuncts, the body or mind or any of these things. What is to be investigated is only the fundamental awareness I am. So that is what this verse is. This is uh, one way of pointing towards that. That is the knower of all this is ego. The reality of ego, that is God. That is the ultimate reality. That is what we seek to know. Um. So i think that's all there is to be said about this verse 6 verse 7 is a similar verse in that it's also a a, a question and answer um that is a dialogue between a guru and and um, between disciple and guru um verse 7 i believe it is a translation of um uh, a that that is there's a a work of shankara called ekasloka Prakaranam or something, which means a chapter or or, or a work consisting of just one verse. This is the one verse, and Bhagavan translated it into translated it into Tamil. So, um, as in the previous verse, it's a um, it's a series of questions and answers. Questions are asked by the disciple, and the answers are given by Guru. So, it begins with the question, "Oli unuk. Oh, sorry. No, in this case, it is not. It's not the disciple who's asking the questions. It's the guru who's asking the questions, in order to teach the disciple. So, um, it, the first question is asked by guru: "Is Oli unaku edu? Um, what is the light for you?" The reply is the second sentence: uh, "Pahal uh, uh, inan enaku." That means, um, for me, in daytime the sun, in darkness a lamp. That is, the question is, what is the light for you? The, the answer means, for me, the light the, the light is understood because of the question. For me, the light in daytime is the sun, in darkness is a lamp. Um, But it's put more briefly, it's put just simply, for me in daytime the sun, in darkness a lamp. And then the Guru asks uh, another question, which is, um, oli una oli edu. That means, what is the light that knows the light? And the answer uh, given by the disciple is kan, kan means eye, eye means uh, organ of sight. uh, no, <coughs> not the pronoun now, I, I, but the the noun I, e y e. And then the guru asks, uh, um, "Adu una oli edu? What is the light that knows that? That means that knows the eye." And the disciple answers, um, "Oli mati." That is, the light is the mind. And then Guru asks again, Mati Una Oli Edu. What is the light that knows the mind? And uh, the disciple answers, Adu Aham. That is I. And the Guru then uh, concludes by saying, uh, Oli Tanil Oli Yumni. That is the. Uh, the light in light is you, um, but it's, this is this reply of Guru is part of a of a of a uh, part of a sentence. That is the whole of the final sentence is "Oli tanil oliyum ni ena Guru." When Guru said that, when Guru said uh, the light, but in in light that means the light in all lights, the light, but knows the light. <coughs> Yes, actually, uh, that nose is not there, but it's implied there. Oh, sorry, sorry. No, the guru says the light in light is you. Yeah, that, that the guru, guru replies the light in light is you. When guru says that, the disciple understands. Aham adai, I am that. So the, the whole of the last sentence is, um, Oli tanil Oli umni a guru aham That means. When Guru said, The light in light is you, I am that alone. The implication is the disciple replied, I am that alone. So, if we make it, if we expand it a little, the Guru asks, What is the light for you? The disciple answers, For me, in daytime the sun, in darkness a lamp. Guru then asks, What is the light that knows or is aware of the physical uh, light from such sources? That is, what is the light that knows the light? He says, but that implies, what is the light that knows such physical? That is, the light of the sun and the light of a lamp are physical lights. So, what is the light that knows those physical lights? Uh, And the disciple replies, the eye. And Guru then asks, what is the light that knows or is aware of that? That is, what is the light that knows the mind, the eye? And the disciple answers, the light that The light is mind, that means the light but knows the eye is mind, and Guru then asked, "What is the light that knows the mind, and disciple replied, that is I and then when Guru said, The light in light, namely the light of awareness, which is what shines in all lights, illumining them or making them known, is you and then the disciple says, "I am that alone, or I am that indeed." Um, this is this this the this uh, dialogue is a little similar to uh, well it's it's similar in implication to uh what is uh, explained in drishtrishti Vivaka. in drishtrishti Vivaka, that's a, a, a sanskrit work by adi shankara but bhagavan translated in into tamil uh Drik Drisya, Drik means the seer Drisya means what is seen, and viveka means distinguishing. So, distinguishing the seer from the seen. So, it begins with this in a similar way. What 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 is the? Um, uh, I can't remember exactly how it's worded in uh, in uh, drisya viveka—what well, But what is it but knows the the world, the the eye. Oh, oh, oh what what is it that sees that, that sees meaning what sees objects the eye what is the eye what is it that sees the eye the mind what is it that sees the mind that is Atman that is the ultimate uh, seer Atman there means actually no when he says that is Atman Atman actually means ego in that context. But then we have to go further back within. If ego investigates itself, then we come to the ultimate reality. So ego is not the ultimate reality, but within ego is the ultimate reality. So only when ego turns its attention back on itself to see who am I, will it find the ultimate reality. But anyway, all these are these are various ways in which our attention is to be drawn back to ourselves. That is the the nature of the mind is to flow outwards, to be constantly seeing other things, constantly knowing other things. We know, we we see other things by means of light, we hear other things by means of vibrations in the air, and so on and so forth. But what is it that so it's it's through the senses that we know all these things. But what is it that knows through the senses? That is the that is the but, but uh, that's what's referred to here the light that knows that the, the light that knows the mind um that that here light is a is a is a metaphor for uh, awareness so um though it starts off with the physical light once he once guru asks uh, what is the light that knows that meaning what is the light that knows the mind Their light it means awareness. So the awareness that knows the I is the mind. And what is the light? What is the awareness that knows the mind? That is I. And therefore you are the light in all lights. In other words, you, the ultimate light is we ourselves. That is, what we actually are is the light of pure awareness. Pure awareness is what is always shiny as I am. So pure awareness is what shines in the mind, giving light to the mind. As Bhagavan says in um in verse uh, twenty of um of uh Uludunapadu, Sorry, not verse twenty, I mean verse twenty-two. Matikoli tandu, um that means giving light to the mind, a matikul oli uh, which shines within the mind. And we have to change the order slightly uh, to make sense of it. Uh, mat- uh, Pati means the Lord. madiki. Uh, andri That means, except by, except by turning the mind back within, completely immersing it in God, who shines within that mind, giving light to the mind, how to fathom God by the mind. That is, God is the ultimate light, the light of pure awareness that shines within the mind, giving light to the mind. So in order to know him as he actually is, and he here means our, he, he is what we actually are. So in order to know him as we actually are, which is, means knowing ourselves as we actually are, we need to turn our mind back within to know the light that shines within the mind, giving light to the mind. That light is the light of pure awareness, so the same is what is referred to here in this um in this seventh verse of ab and that that when he says "The light but knows the mind that is it, it, it the, the disciple replies that is I, and the guru says, "The light in light is you that means you are the ultimate light, but again, here we need to understand this a little bit more deeply in the light of Bhagavan's teaching, because the, what knows the mind is I in the sense of ego. Ego is not the ultimate light. Ego borrows its light from the pure awareness I am, but always shines within it. So the Lord, Patti, that Bhagavan refers to in verse 22 of Ulladrunapadu, is our own real nature, but all, which is the pure awareness that always shines within us as I. So what knows the mind is ego, the adjunct conflated awareness, I am this body, but the reality of ego is the pure awareness I am. So all these, that is this verse 6 and verse 7, are both intended to turn our attention back towards ourselves, because only when we turn our attention back towards ourselves will we see that what we actually are is not this ego that knows the world or and, and knows the mind, but only the Pure awareness I am, which is the reality that underlies ego. That is, ego is the adjunct mixed awareness I am this body, the pure awareness I am, which is, is the reality of ego, what ego actually is. But so long as we're looking outwards, we seem to be ego, this adjunct conflated awareness I am this body. When we look back within, there's no such thing as ego to be found. All we will find is pure awareness. Just like A a rope seems to be a snake only when we don't look at it carefully enough. If we look at it carefully enough, we will see, oh, it's not a snake, it's just a rope. Likewise, if we look at ego carefully enough, in other words, if we look at ourselves carefully enough, we will see, oh, we are not ego, this adjunct conflated awareness. We are just the pure awareness I am. It's only in the view of this adjunct conflated awareness But the mind and world seem to exist. But when we turn within and see ourselves as the pure awareness that we actually are, ego will thereby be dissolved, and everything that was known by ego, in other words, this whole world appearance, will disappear along with it. Because as Bhagavan says in verse 26 of Uludnaptu, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Why is that? Because everything, everything, meaning all phenomena, both both mental phenomena and what seem to be physical phenomena, all exist only or all seem to exist only in the view of ego. So they have no existence independent of ego. So when we rise as ego, we see all this multiplicity. When we turn when we subside back into the heart, cease rising as ego, all multiplicity disappears, and what remains is the one that actually exists, namely the pure awareness, I am. So these verses are intended to turn our attention back towards ourselves in order to make us look deep within, to see what we, the light that illumines the mind, actually are. Om namo bhagavate sriyarana chalaramanaya I hope I've um, explained that clearly enough.
1: Thank you, Michael. Um, so I will um, ask the questions on this. Um, so the first question is from Mira. Since such is subtler than the mind-ego, the mind-ego cannot perceive the it like the ego perceives objects and worlds, isn't it? So the only way the mind can look within inward is only when it gains knowledge of something beyond what it can perceive, the truth of ego itself, by way of knowledge, isn't it? So um, that sentence is not making
0: no I I, I understand but um okay. that is
1: uh, it, finish, it uh... depends
0: what we okay
1: yeah I, I want to go ahead and finish the, the rest of the question even um on start uh, on start of the journey of looking within I mean um or the mind the ego continues looking continues looking outward thinking world to be the reality isn't it so um Mira, do you want to add anything more to what you just mentioned on the post?
2: Um no, basically just that. So in order for the even to for the journey to start to look within, the mind should know there is something else out there, its own truth, and the knowledge about the truth. Only then, then it's going to look within because. The mind's job is it looks outward using the sense organs. Uh, It perceives the world. Mm. So even to look within, you should know there's something better than world. There is something full of joy, something more permanent joy than periodic spurts of joy. Only then it'll even start the journey to look within. So to understand the nature of the satchit, to understand what that satchit is, truth is. That is will be the motivating factor. Like Mind is like uh, uh, learning, right? It's a learning tool. That I mean, is, just my
0: thought. Yeah, okay. That is, in order to turn within, two things are necessary. First, we need to understand what is meant by turning within. Turning within means turning our attention back towards ourself. And we need to understand what we mean by ourself. Ourself doesn't mean this body or mind or anything. It means just the fundamental awareness I am. So we need to understand that. Before, because otherwise, if we don't understand that, when we try to investigate ourselves, we'll be investigating something other than ourselves. All we are to investigate is this fundamental awareness: "I am," because that is what we actually are. So, we obviously we need to understand that. We also obviously need to be motivated. That is the nature of the mind, as you say, is to be always going outwards. So, we need motivation to turn within. Plenty of motivation is given by the world itself. The world gives us plenty of blows. And further motivation is given by Bhagavan's teachings But tells us, that points out to us the obvious fact that when we come out, we have to face the world and receive all the blows. So if we want to be free of all this trouble but results from our rising as ego, we need to turn back within. Yes. Um, it is We are not knowing... It's, when you say, but we need to know there is something beyond, that is, we, what is to be known, we all already know. All that is to be known is I am. We already know I am. The problem is, though we know I am, we don't know, I am means ourself. Though we know ourselves, we don't know ourselves as we actually are, because we mistake ourselves to be a body. So as Bhagavan often said, there is no new knowledge to be attained. If a new if if we attain the new knowledge, whatever comes newly will go. Whatever comes has to go. Because whatever comes is impermanent. What is permanent must always be there. So but the one true knowledge, the pure jnana, pure awareness, is ever clearly shining and known by everyone as I am. The problem is. We, instead of knowing ourselves as just I am, we know ourselves as I am Mira, I am Michael, I am this person, I am that person. That, That false awareness, I am this or I am that, that is ego. So that false awareness is to be removed. If a false awareness is to be removed, what remains is the one real awareness. So how to remove this false awareness? The false awareness is a false identification. Because we're looking outwards, we know ourselves as, I am this body. Mm. In order to remove this false knowledge, I am this body, we need to know what we actually are. Mm. If if we see a rope and mistake it to be a snake, the snake is a false knowledge. Mm. To remove that false knowledge, the only way you can remove that false knowledge is by gaining correct knowledge what it what is it but actually it seems to be a snake but what actually is it if we look at it carefully enough we see oh it's just a rope likewise if we look at if we as ego look at ourselves carefully enough we will see we are not ego we are just pure awareness as soon as we see ourselves as pure awareness ego the false awareness i am this person i am miro i am michael i am whoever that is destroyed and what remains is just the pure awareness I am, but always knows itself as just I am I, not I am this or I am that, yes. but I am just I am, nothing other than myself,
2: yeah. yeah, that's what I meant, like knowledge in the sense to know that I am
0: is the truth yes yes need an under, we need to have an yeah. understanding of that that's yes. what I meant by knowledge yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, this is why the external guru is necessary. If Bhagavan, that is, when Bhagavan points these things out to us and we think about it, it becomes very obvious to us what mm. he is saying is true. But if he hadn't pointed it out to us, we would have been overlooking this. We, exactly, we've been point. overlooking this. But endless,
2: yeah. yes. So yes.
0: Bhagavan just points out what is obvious. But because mm. our mind is going outwards, we—the very mm. nature of the mind—is to overlook this obvious. Yes, uh, yeah reality so it's necessary for our own self our own reality to appear outwardly in name and form as guru to mm-hmm. tell us the term within
2: so we have but, to teach mm-hmm. so should we not tell the mind that what we see outward is not the reality or, i mean is well, that that's a teaching right
0: yeah yes it's okay. it's good to remind ourselves of these things but we cannot know the reality but just by telling ourselves these things
2: mm-hmm least
0: we won't take it seriously, like how we don't yeah, take dreams yeah, seriously. Yeah, yeah. That is, the more we, the more we turn within, the less, the less weight we will give to this world, the less weight we will give to our existence as this body. So we, we gradually gain detachment, vairagyam. Uh, we, we develop an udasina baba. A, an attitude of indifference to all these things.
2: But as long as the body is alive, we have to use our skill sets or whatever for our bread and butter, for our livelihood. We make use of the unique We
0: thing, we, right? we don't have to do anything because this body, the, the prarabdha that was allotted for this body, at the moment it came into existence, that prarabdha is going to unfold. Okay. We think we have to do it because we take ourselves to be this body. What we have to do is not take ourselves to be this body, not feel I have to take care of this body. What we have to do is to surrender this body and mind to Bhagavan. How can we surrender it to Bhagavan? By turning within and holding on to him in our heart. Because he is what is always shining in our heart as I. If we surrender ourselves in this way, whatever the body and mind need to do, he will make them do. Even if we don't surrender ourselves, he will still make my mind and body do whatever they're meant to do. But we yeah. suffer along the way because yeah. we are seeking this and that and we, we don't get what we want and we're dissatisfied and um, we get so many things that we dislike. But if we turn within, what does it matter whether good things, so-called good things or so-called bad things happen in our life? We're indifferent to them because all that is real, all that really matters, is that pure awareness I am that is shiny in our heart which is what we actually are and what Bhagavan actually is.
2: So is it wrong for me to think like when I do my work uh, I mean again it's just the ego talking then when I'm addressing I doing the work uh, whenever I do any activities I always feel gratitude to that truth within me because of which this body mind is even alive exists which is because you know we're just doing all these activities but without the truth within, this is not even possible. So an emotion of attitude, an attitude of gratitude comes into my mind. Is that okay?
0: That's okay at a certain level, but we need okay. to think even deeper than that. Okay. Why okay. should we we think doing all these things is somehow of something of value? But mm-hmm. we we seem to be doing these things only because we take ourselves to be the body. Mm-hmm. So ultimately, all these things. And not because of that awareness I am, it's because of ego. Of course, there couldn't be ego without that awareness I am. Right,
2: right.
0: But ego is the culprit for I mean, what causes the appearance of all these other things is ego. So we need to go deeper within.
2: Okay. Thank you.
0: We But one thing we need to be grateful to Bhagavan for is not for enabling us to do this or that. We need to be mm. grateful to him for one thing and one thing alone, forever mm. shining in our heart as I. Mm. Because if we're grateful to him for that, mm. our mind will be going inwards. If mm. we're grateful to him for the trivial things that we mm. experience in this life, our mm. mind will be going outwards. outwards. Mm. So the true gratitude to Bhagavan is mm. turning within. Mm.
2: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Michael. Right. Um, so, Michael, uh, so this uh, next is not a co- question, it's just a comment. Knowledge of Bruce's comment knowledge of self is not gained. Outward sight covers self and therefore obscures the inward sight.
0: Yeah. It, it, nothing ever covers self, actually, because even when we're looking outward, we're aware I am. But what there is a seeming covering because we take more interest in the external world than we take in ourself, in our own being. So we, we can remove that seeming covering by only by developing more and more love to attend to ourself alone. The more we love to attend to ourselves alone, the clearer it will be, but that is never covered. It only seems to be covered so long as we're looking outwards. But even when we're looking outwards, it's only by that light, by the light of that awareness I am, that we're able to know all these other things.
1: Right. Thank you, Michael um rabbi day makes a comment the thought that from time to time reminds us to look in words is the grace of the guru
0: yes certainly
1: um then sandy um
0: but we shouldn't Grace of Guru is not limited to that thought, because if that thought alone were the grace of Guru, then that would mean grace of Guru is very intermittent, because we remember to turn within only intermittently. What is really the grace of Guru is the love to turn within. And that love is there in our heart, but we have to look within to to see that love in ourselves. So long as we're looking outwards, we overlook the love that Bhagavan has already given us to look within.
1: Thank you, Michael. Um, uh, Sandy makes a comment. Would you talk about the first I thought and when it arises? And when does the identification take place? And what identifies with the body? The
0: rising of the, the I-thought, that is ego, the rising of ego and the identification with the body are simultaneous. As Bhagavan says in verse 25 of Rulanaftu, grasping form it comes into existence. That as soon as we rise as ego, we project and grasp the form of a body as I am this body. So this happens all simultaneously. That is, it's the very nature of ego to project and grasp a body as I. So we cannot rise as ego without grasping a body as I. We cannot stand for a moment as ego without grasping a body as I. Does that adequately answer Rabbi Day's question? Uh,
1: Sandy. uh, Yeah. 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 Not, not right away, but I will think about yeah. what you have told.
0: Yes, thank you. It's all simultaneously that is, that is the very nature of ego.
1: The very nature of ego is identification with the body.
0: Yeah, yeah, quite... yeah. But, as such, but no exists... body exists independent of ego. So, the nature of ego, as soon as we rise as ego, we project the body and take it to be I, right? Right, just like in dream. But, but in dream, we always experience ourselves as a dream body, a body in that dream world. But that body in the dream world doesn't exist before we start dreaming. As soon as we rise as ego in a dream, we project the dream body, take it to be I, and through the five senses of that dream body, we project the dream world. Such it
2: so, exists independently, right? Ego does not exist independently, right?
0: Right. Okay. E- that is, Satchit is independent, because it yes. alone is what always exists. Whether yes. other things appear or not, e- Satchit yes. always remains as yes. it is, so it's untouched by anything. Yes. Yes. Ego is dependent on two things. Firstly, it's, most importantly, it's dependent on Satchit, because without Satchit, it, it can not Satchit is the I am element in this conflated awareness, I am this person and ego is also dependent on whatever body it projects and it's dependent on all the other things it experiences because it's that's the food on which it's living but those other things are also dependent on ego because they don't exist at all independent of ego so ego projects all this dream and and feeds upon it because without this dream without this dream body and dream world ego we couldn't rise as ego so though the dream body and dream world do not exist independent of ego, ego, it's the very nature of ego to project these things. If we didn't project these things, we would remain as the pure awareness I am. Oh, one other thing, Sandy, you asked is, what is it that grasps all these things? We can only say it's ego. Ego is what grasps this body it uh, what projects and grasps this body as i but what is this ego if in order to see what ego is we need to turn our attention back within we need to turn our attention away from the world and the body and everything else back towards ourselves to see who am i when we turn our attention within no such thing as ego will be found what we will find is just pure awareness just like the the rope seems to be a snake only so long as we don't look at it carefully enough. If we look at it carefully, if we look at the snake carefully, what do we see? Oh, there is no snake at all. It's only a rope. Likewise, if we look at the ego carefully enough, we see, oh, there's no such thing as ego at all. What seemed to be ego is just pure awareness. But, of course, analogies had their limitation. In the case of the snake and the rope, both the rope and the seeming snake are both objects. But in the case of ego, ego is not an object, it's the subject. But we seem to be ego so long as we're looking outwards. If we look back within to see who am I, no such thing as ego is to be found. So what is it that has grasped all these things? If there's no ego, then what has grasped this this body as I? And what has grasped all these phenomena in the world as I am aware of this, I know this, I know that. When ego is absent, all these other things are absent. So by looking deep within to see what we actually are, we will we will unravel this knot called ego, this chit granti. And when we unravel this knot, everything else is unraveled. And what remains is just. What always actually exists, namely, I am.
1: Thank you, Michael.
0: Right.
1: Um, thank you, Michael. So Sarah um says uh, asks a question. Um, the trouble with seeing myself as anything is that I need to see a form, a face, or even pure air. When investigating our true nature, is it counterproductive to think of light or an apparition, even thin air? I also find Bhagawan's form to be a source of comfort, and I can't practice without the image of his physical form in my mind. Is that a natural phenomena for someone more inclined towards bhakti?
0: That is, it is natural for us to have love for the outward form of Bhagavan, because Bhagavan has appeared in that outward form in order to give us these precious teachings. But the very purpose of his appearing in that outward form is to tell us the term within. So naturally, when our mind is going outwards, we feel love for the outward form of Bhagavan. But Bhagavan is constantly reminding us, Ariyati Tara Jivara Dahavari Ari Rami Paramatman Arunachala Ramana. Arunachala Ramana is the Paramatman that blissfully exists as awareness in the cave of the heart lotus of all uh, jivas, beginning with Hari. So he is that which is always shining in our heart as awareness. Awareness means the pure awareness I am. So to so if we really have love for him, we shouldn't be just we, we we shouldn't be content merely with meditating on his outward form. Because the purpose of that outward form is to turn our mind within. So if we truly love him, we should follow what he says. To, to look in our heart, to see him in our heart, to see him as ourselves. And we can see him as ourself only by looking. Keenly attending to ourselves to see what we actually are. What we actually are is but what Bhagavan actually is. So we cannot know Bhagavan without knowing ourselves. So the purpose of the outward form is to tell us the term within. So it's it's natural for us to love that outward form, but if our love for that outward form is 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 clear and pure love, it will be Prompt us to turn our attention within. This is what Bhagavan sings in the second half of that verse, that Arunacharamanam verse, where he says in the first half, but Arunacharamanam is the Paramatma that blissfully exists as awareness in the heart of, in the cave of the heart lotus of all. He, in the second half of that verse, he says, Parival Ulam Uruha, that means heart melting with love. Now Paranandidu Guheyandu, reaching the uh the the cave where that uh sub uh that nalparam that that benign supreme uh, dwells uh parandidu guhayandu arivam viri tirava, the eye of awareness opening nijam arivai you will know this adu veliyam, it will adu literally means it will come out in other words it will reveal itself so Bhagavan doesn't only tell us what He actually is, He is that which is shining in our heart of the awareness I am. How to know Him as such? We need to turn within with our heart melting with love. That That's very, very important. He begins that, the second half of that verse with the word parival by love. What is the result of that love? If the true love is there, the heart will melt with love. And then only when the heart is truly melting with love will we be able to go deep enough within in order to see him in our heart as ourself. Thank so you, when- Michael. Meditating. I was afraid you were going to say that. <laughs> yes. it's just Why so should you be afraid? Figured. This is what Bhagavan's teachings are all about. Why should we be afraid of Bhagavan's teachings? Oh, uh, well, I mean,
2: his form is...
0: I mean, there's such a pull. And yes, as humans, we, we need that. We need a face, a form of... I don't know what's at the a, right word. As hum- a human, you need a for- face and a form. But are you human? That's what Bhagavan is asking you. Are you the body? Yeah. You're, so sure. long as you're aware of yourself as I am this body, you seem to be human. You are not human. human like is I a, said, it's, it's much easier to Human is a biological consider. species. <laughs> you are something Thank far, you. far greater than that. As you will see if you look within. That's why Bhagavan appeared in this outward name and form to tell us to look within. Hmm. Thank you. We are all reluctant to look within because we are not willing to surrender ourselves wholly to Bhagavan. If we truly had love for Bhagavan, if we truly had heart-melting, all-consuming love for Bhagavan, we would be willing to turn within and thereby to be swallowed by him. But because we're not yet willing to be to surrender ourselves completely, to to allow him to swallow us, we... we we're finding every excuse possible to go outwards, but we, the, the longer we, we continue finding excuses to go outwards, the longer we are dragging this on. He has appeared outwardly to speed up this process, so if we really are grateful to him, if we really appreciate what a great treasure he's brought for us, we will turn within. If we truly love him, we will be willing to give ourselves wholly to him. And we can give ourselves wholly to him only by turning within. Mm. That is true surrender. That's what he says in the first sentence of the 13th paragraph of Nana. Ānma Chintane <inaudible> tavira vehera Chintane kolambavitaku satram idum kodamal apmanishtu paranai iripadei tannai isanuku alipadam. That means being param, one who's firmly established as oneself, not giving the slightest room for raising any thought other than Atmachintana, other than thought of oneself, in other words, other than self-attentiveness. That alone is giving oneself to God. So if we really want, if we really love Him, we should want to give ourselves to Him. If we really want to give ourselves to Him, this is the only way. So we sh- we shouldn't be afraid of his teachings. We should embrace his teachings, hmm. though it in, though embracing his teachings is signing our own death warrant. We should nevertheless embrace them because our death is what we what is ultimately the only solution. Death means death of ego It's the only solution to all these problems. Hmm. When ego dies. What remains is Bhagavan alone, as he always actually is. I wanted to ask, Michael, what does self-inquiry look like for you? Um, When you sit down to practice, what's your process? I I know it's kind of difficult to explain. It is not like anything. What is I am like? Can we... we all know i am can we describe i am can we say what i am is like i am is not like anything it is it wow. is it is peerless it's uh, unequalled uh, it's it's something that cannot be compared with anything because all things are objects hmm see do you, do you think the, we'll the down or
2: sorry? is it
0: more of walking meditation or walking sort of self inquiry on but it doesn't self inquiry has got nothing to do with walking talking sitting standing it has got nothing to do with body it is all about turning the mind back within so it doesn't matter whether the body is walking or sitting or lying or whatever it may be doing but one thing whatever the body may be doing or not doing the one thing we are always aware of is i am All we need to do is to hold on to that I am, unmindful of the body. Let Hmm. the body walk, let it talk, let it do anything. Our concern should be holding on to that I am. Okay. All right. Thank you. Those are my questions. And and this, this idea of asking, what is your personal experience of this? There's no such thing as a personal experience of this because... This is going beyond the person that we seem to be. The more we hold on to I am, the more the ego that is aware of itself as I am this person subsides. So we're going beyond all these limitations of ego and person and so on.
1: So to summarize, Michael, um, I think uh, Bhagwan's picture does help and his Nama Rupa does help to, to help us turn within, right? Yes. And use it yes. as a proper an aid. Yes.
0: But it's um, an it's an aid it's only it, an
1: exactly. aid Exactly. that's all i'm saying right You're just an yeah. aid as an aid to help us turn within um and um from all the questions i think um could you just explain um uh, to everyone here um what I, what what exactly the technique of or the practice of self investigation entail? um i think uh, it's good to revisit this. No, no, we explained this many times. Okay, uh, so
0: okay. Firstly, I don't think "technique" is an appropriate word for it because a exactly. technique uh, is if if you have something difficult to do. Well, supposing you you um you're trying to it's nowadays when we buy things in the in the supermarket, some things come in bottles. Sometimes it's very difficult to open the bottle. So, for a difficult thing like that, you may f- need to find some technique, some way of gripping the, the top. So, for that, you need a technique. But do you need a technique to see something? To see it, you just need to turn towards it and look at it. Right. So, all in order to see what we actually are, we simply need to turn towards ourselves and look at ourselves. Obviously, we cannot look at ourselves with our eyes, because what we actually are is not something physical it's something that is it it is it's beyond all uh, it's not an object or a phenomenon it's what is ever shining in our heart as our own being i am so what self investigation actually is has been very very clearly expressed by bhagavan in in the 16th paragraph of nana that is the name Atmavichara is only for, it's a name for, keeping the mind on ourselves, always keeping the mind on ourselves. Sada kalamum Manate, Atmavil, Veitirupatikutan, Atmavicharam and So that name Atmavichara is a name only for this, keeping our mind uh, on ourselves. What does it mean to keep your mind on something? It means to attend to it. So being self-attentive alone is self-investigation. What is self-attentiveness? The only way to find out what is self-attentiveness is to try to attend to ourselves. At first, it won't be so clear because we're so used to uh, taking ourselves to be this body and mind. But if we read Bhagavan's teachings attentively, that is, sravana manana What does sravana mean? The literal meaning of sravana is hearing, but what it means is attentively uh, studying Bhagavan's teaching, paying close attention to his words, what he's actually saying, putting our own preconceptions out of our mind, trying to understand what is it Bhagavan is saying here. So we need to, we need to uh, pay close attention to his teachings. We need to also make sense of them, because his teachings are they are just words. We need to make sense of those words. What is it that Bhagavan is saying? So we need to think carefully about it. What Bhagavan is saying here? Why does he say this here and that there? What is the, what is the connection between the different things? Slowly, slowly, we begin to make sense of his teachings. That is the manana. But the most important of all is the nidityasana. Only a little bit of sravana and manana is necessary to get us started. With a little bit of sravana, a little bit of careful manana, we can understand what we have to attend to is just ourself. Then we should start attending to ourselves. The more we attend to ourselves, the deeper will be our sravana and manana. Because But when we read Bhagavan's words, they'll be more meaningful to us it's just a like if you if you see a map of a country you've never been to you will understand this these contour lines means it's a hill here and there's a valley here and there's a river here and a city here we understand generally the features but we don't really that we, that map doesn't really enable us to know that country but when we go to a country start travelling around the country start seeing the features that are represented on the map The map becomes much more meaningful to us. Likewise, the deeper we go in this practice, the more meaningful Bhagavan's words will become. And because of the clarity we gain from going within, we'll be able to, our manana will also be much deeper. We'll be able to understand more deeply, not only the surface meaning of what Bhagavan is saying, but the implication underneath it. That is, words, one's words, have both the surface meaning and the implication. For example, the two verses we took today, if we just take the surface meaning of the words, then that says, uh, "God is what knows the mind." But it's God what knows the mind." god is the reality of what knows the mind what knows the mind is ego god is the reality of that so we we need to go beneath the surface of the words to understand not just what the words mean but what they imply in every verse of bhagavans i mean these are translated verses so these are not so important but, but particularly the original verses of bhagavan in every in every Verse. there's the the surface meaning. We need to understand what it means, what the words actually mean. But we shouldn't stop with just the meaning of the words. We need to begin to understand what they imply. The implications will become clearer and clearer the more we put this into practice. So the practice is absolutely essential. But nobody can do this practice for us. Nobody can... That is Bhagavan's words are pointing out. They're pointing us in the right direction. They're pointing us back. They're pointing our attention back towards ourselves. But we need to we need to turn our attention back towards ourselves in order to see what he's pointing at. If Bhagavan's pointing at something behind us, if we continue looking at Bhagavan and don't look behind at what he's pointing at, we're missing. we, we won't ever see what he's pointing out. So his outward form has come to point out. What is lies deep within us because what he actually is, is not that outward form, he is what lies deep within he, out of his abundant grace and compassion, he has appeared outwardly in name and form in order to tell us to look within, but if we are to be benefited from his teachings, we need to follow them, we need to look within to see what we actually are
1: so Michael, what exactly is
0: looking within. Fixing your mind in yourself, as Bhagavan says. But The words can go only so far, words right, can only right. point, but we, we cannot, it's recorded in Ma, Mahayoga and in talks, when someone asked Bhagavan, Bhagavan, but how to do this? Bhagavan mm-hmm. said, if the way were objective, it could be shown objectively. This is not objective. Do you need to be shown the way inside your own home? That is why he called this vichara. Vichara means investigation. So we can find out what it is to be self-attentive only by trying to be self-attentive. Otherwise the words will be meaningless to us. Right.
1: So that's why when I first posed the the question, I corrected the technique to practice. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. So then, uh, that is. Um... But why
0: is practice necessary? Why shouldn't we just look within and see what we actually are? Because of our the strength of our outward going inclinations, our bhajeabastan, and resulting desires and attachments, and so on. So, if we were fully ripe. The mere words of Bhagavan would turn our attention back within, and we would merge back it within. But most of us are not so ripe, so practice is necessary. We need to continue trying more. But practice means just trying to turn our attention within as much as possible. The more we do so, the more the sattvasana, the inclination to... Hold on to our being will be strengthened. Beloved to hold on to our being will be strengthened. And all the other vāsanas, the vishaya vāsanas, will be correspondingly weakened. So practice is absolutely essential. There are many um, uh, would-be gurus nowadays who try and... um, uh, Try and make it appear that practice isn't necessary. All you need to do is to see to see it as it is. but how can you see it as it is if you don't do the practice? why they, why they say practice isn't necessary because they're trying to they're trying to sell a product in a marketplace, so you have to make it sound as easy and as attractive as possible. So they say um, um uh, but practice isn't necessary. There's even one very prominent um, uh, um, person who is supposed to be teaching a dwaita. He has started to say of late that um, Bhagavan taught uh, Atmavichara just as a concession, but that's not Bhagavan's highest teaching. That's not his real teaching. Why is he saying that? Just to make it popular with people. Bhagavan's core teaching what Bhagavan's teachings are all about is about looking within to see what we actually are. So self-investigation is the very heart of Bhagavan's teachings. So anyone, anyone who tries to make it sound like this is not necessary or this is just a concession for those who want to do something, they are completely missing the point. But if you're running a business, if you're trying to earn... Pots and pots of money, charging for um, for people to view your videos and all these, and to come to your retreats and your satsangs and everything. You need to you need to have a good business model. You first you've got to make sure your product is is, is going to appeal to the popular market. This is what is happening nowadays with so many people. They're just, they're diluting the teachings. These neo draytons and others. They're diluting the teachings in order to to have something that will be popular to market. Bhagavan's teachings will never be popular, it'll only be a few people who, at any time, given time, who are ready to come to this path, or are serious about coming to this path. So we're not here to popularize Bhagavan's teachings. We're here — well, ultimately, we're each here to turn within and merge within. If at all we talk about Bhagavan's teachings, we should talk about Bhagavan's teachings only to those who actually ask us and who are really, really interested. Bhagavan never asked us to uh, talk about his teachings or spread his teachings. I'm, I'm the one who's always talking about his teachings. But this is not what Bhagavan's teachings are about. It just so happened because people ask me questions, I give answers and so on. uh, But this is not the real thing. The real thing is only looking within. We can go on talking about these things ad infinitum for all eternity, but it's all useless if we don't turn within. All Bhagavan's teachings are useful to the extent to which we put them into practice. If we don't put them into practice. We are completely we we, we are wasting the, the supremely precious opportunity we've been given. In the Bhagavan, in the twelfth paragraph of Nana, Bhagavan says God and Guru are in truth not different. Just like what has fallen in the jaws of a tiger cannot escape those who have been caught in the glance of guru's grace will certainly be uh, will will certainly be saved by him and will never be forsaken ainanum gurukartiya varipadi Tavaradu nadikavandam nevertheless it is necessary to follow without fail in accordance with the path shown by guru so bhagavan has assured us that he will certainly save us but well, one thing we have to do we have to follow his path so practice is all all important what is it we are pra- to practice trying to turn our attention back within to see who am i that is what his teachings are all about
1: um thank you michael So, um, and then there is a comment here, the only graceful act of ego is turning within and from there, surrender to Bhagawan's grace for abundance in the light of awareness that resides in the cave of the heart. Um,
0: yes, absolutely.
1: uh, Right. Um, and then Bruce, um, sort of reinforces your point. Do you need someone to show your way into your own house?
0: Bhagavan said you don't need someone <laughs> right you just need Bhagavan has told us go inside your own house if we say but Bhagavan how can I go inside my own house you know your own house go inside Bhagavan is saying to us right
1: um and then uh let me see there are a lot of comments from Mirak uh, did, did Did you have any additional comments what we're saying Go ahead. You can unmute yourself, please.
2: Um, no, I wrote something in the very end.
1: Yeah, summarize your point.
2: The very end, I wrote something if you wanted to just read that because you might be shorter. The very, very end. Last too many questions from me today. Sorry.
1: Um so such I is a truth that exists always. Is this correct?
2: Uh, no, to find that which does hmm. not undergo any change to look within, to find out in us, what is it that does not undergo any change? What is it that exists always? What is it that has no attributes? What is it that is self-evident? Like, I know I exist without anybody telling me I exist. Yes. So, so,
0: I, so I am Prakasa, self-shining.
2: Yeah, I don't need my sense organs to tell me, like ego yes. needs a sense organs to tell anything in the world. If I have to see, yes. I need my, uh, I perceive using the five yes. senses, but yes. to know I exist. I don't need anyone to tell me I don't need any of my sense organs. So that is an independent knowing in me. So that such it is that aspect in me, which exists always in the waking state, dream state and deep sleep. So that's the truth of me. And that such it I has no attributes. So because there's no attribute, there is no comparison side effects which the ego undergoes during the waking state of comparison and and all problems and everything happens in life. Now, this such has no comparison side effects. So it's uh, it's happiness. When I mean, there's no comparison, 90% of the problem is gone in life and no, uh, no you know, the ego just gets a pat on the back for every action that we do. And the ego rises more and more, becomes stronger. And, uh, you so know, all the, that what... will not be there once we know I am is at such it, not the ego. So the action still can be done using the body without the doership isn't it? That is you, my question.
0: You don't have to do actions. But how do they, we survive in the world? prarabda prakaram, adakanavan, angangirindu mm-hmm. Bhagavan has said very clearly in the first mm-hmm. sentence of the note he wrote for his mother. Avarabha prarabdha prakaram means according mm-hmm. to the prarab in the in accordance with the prarabdha of each one, mm-hmm. karnavan. Adakarnavan is a beautiful word. It means he who is for that. He's referring, of course, to God or Guru. Angangirandu, being there, there. That means being in each place. That implies being in the heart of each one of us. Art of Ipan will make us dance. So whatever, okay. whatever actions need to be done by our mind, speech or body in order for our Prarabdha to unfold, mm-hmm. that's what he means by he will make us do these actions. Oh, okay. So, so it's we, like don't, a we, we don't have to do anything. Yep. Of course, we are free to do, as he says in the next two sentences, vadadu, enwe that is, whatever is, never, what is never to happen will not happen in spite of any amount of effort. Why does he say in spite of any amount of effort? Because... We are free to want to experience what is not in prarabdha, we're free to try for it. But however much we want it, however much we try for it, if it is not to happen, it is not going to happen. <laughs> Likewise, Padu enthadai seyinum niladu. <laughs> what is to happen will not stop in spite of any amount of obstacle. So we're free to want to avoid what we're destined to experience, we're free yeah. to try to avoid it. But however much we try, we cannot avoid it. It is to be this is certain. So Bhagavan makes Bhagavan has in this the whole of the law of karma, Bhagavan has packed into this one short note that he wrote for his mother. Iduve And what is his conclusion? Ahayal, monamai Irike Nandrum. Therefore, being silent is good. What does he mean by being silent? Being silent means not rising as ego. So, if we don't rise as ego, mind and body will be made to do what they would anyway be made to do, because that's in accordance with prarabdha. We will be untouched by it because we're not rising. So, some people think, oh, Bhagavan says you have to be silent, so you have to just sit like a rock. No, it's not mm-hmm. the body that has to be silent, right? It's ego right. that has to be silent. Ego yeah. shouldn't, r- the non rising is ego alone, is what Bhagavan describes as monomairake. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Being silently or being as silence. Yeah, thank you. Silence is the non rising of ego. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you,
1: um, Michael. So mm-hmm. there's a couple more questions, and right. wrap it up. Um, So Raja um, Kalwa is asking, is remaining as I always, does it entail ceasing from
0: day-to-day actions of life? Whether, who is, what are doing the everyday actions of life? It's mind, speech, and body. Whatever mind, speech, and body may may be doing, you always remain as I. You cannot be anything other than I. But what is meant by remaining as I is we are always I. But when we rise as ego, we don't remain just as I. We we mix and conflate along with this I. I am this body. I am Raj. I am Michael. I am whoever. We I we we this rising takes place. So when Bhagavan talks about remaining as I, what he means is. Not rising as I, just being I. Right? The I that rises is ego. The I that is, is Abmasurupa, our own real nature. So that the pure awareness is the real I, the being I. Ego is the rising I. So, so to in order to remain doing... as we actually are, we need to just be without rising. So
1: That's the meaning of summa Yrupati. Sorry. So it doesn't have anything to do with the day-to-day
0: actions of life. It's got nothing to do with day-to-day yeah, day, actions. Exactly. Day-to-day actions are done by whom? By, by mind, speech, and body. Yes. We but, are, but that creates prarabda, does not it? Hold on, me, please. Yeah, let him stop. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, yeah. that is, these actions are done by mind, speech, and body. Let the mind, speech, and body do whatever actions they may they, they need to do. That's no, no concern of ours. We are not this body, speech, or mind. We got need it. That is the whole point of turning within is to detach ourselves from this body, speech or mind.
1: It's an important question because, you know, it's got nothing to do with our day-to-day actions work. Nothing or whatever, whatsoever. Right.
0: That's why Bhagavan never advocated any particular way of life. He never right. said, you have to become a sannyasi or you have to become a grahasana and everything. He said, all that is decided by Pranam. That's, that's irrelevant. I mean, whatever is is most conducive for your spiritual development has already been allotted in your prarabdha. If it's your prarabdha to be a sannyasi, you cannot avoid being a sannyasi, even if you want to avoid it. If if it's your prarabdha to be a householder, that alone is what's going to happen. You you cannot avoid what is destined to happen. We shouldn't be concerned about these things. The only thing we should be concerned about is about being what we actually are. Being what we actually are means holding on to our being, holding on to I am, and thereby not rising as ego. Thank you, Michael. Of course, it's much easier to say this when they actually put it into practice, but that is our aim. Right. We are failing. All of us are failing in this all the time, but we need to keep on trying. If we keep on trying, doesn't matter how many times we fail, eventually we will succeed. Bhagavan has given us that guarantee. He will certainly save us and never abandon us, he says in that 12th paragraph of Nana. But we need to follow unfailingly in the path he has shown us. Right.
1: Thank you, Michael. Um, so there is a questioner who wants to be anonymous. Um, is it not limiting God to say God does not see anything in, in our ego world? How it does is... God ensure karma then and see the true intent behind thoughts or actions?
0: Okay, um, to say God sees anything would be limiting God. Because as Bhagavan says in the, um, in the fourth, par- fourth verse of, of Ulludunapadu, Uruvam tanayin uluhu paramatran. If oneself is a form, the world and God will be likewise. If oneself is not a form, who can see their forms and how? So, in order to know anything other than ourselves, we need to limit ourselves. Because if, if, if I know something other myself, that that thing is other, I am other, so I'm limited. So God is infinite. So since God is infinite, he cannot know any finite things, he only knows the infinite reality. So In a sense, God is knowing everything, in that he is knowing the underlying reality of everything. But we know this appearance. God doesn't know the appearance, he knows the reality. So it is not limiting God. To say he knows the appearance would be limiting him. That's the first thing. That's talking about God as he actually is. But when we talk about God, Allotting the fruits of karma, it seems to us that we are giving a role to God. We're giving work to God. God has to sit there scratching his head, thinking, okay, what what fruit is appropriate for this action? What fruit is appropriate for that action? He would have to be a super, super computer to to work out all these things because there are so many jivas doing so many actions all the time. And to, to keep a tab on all these things, God is not like that. God is not a supercomputer. God is just pure being. But by just being as he is, all these things happen as they're meant to happen. That is, Bhagavan has has hinted at this beautifully in the 15th paragraph of Nana, where he talks about the five divine functions, the panchakritiya. Panchakritiya means creation, sustenance. Uh, dissolution of the whole universe, the creation of the universe, the sustenance of the universe, and the dissolution of the universe. Veiling and grace. Veiling means, in order for all this to appear, our real nature needs to be, we need to see ourselves as something other than what we actually are. So that is the veiling. And the grace, the anugraha, is the removing of the veiling, and therefore the, the, the permanent dissolution of everything. So all these five divun- divine functions, Bhagavan says, are happening sanidana by the mere special nature of the presence of God. That is, God doesn't... And he also says in that paragraph very clearly, not even a single karma touches God. That means God is not... He's not affected by any karma. He's not doing any karma. He is just being as he is. But by his being as he is, everything is made to happen as it's meant to happen. So God doesn't do anything. God is just pure being. But by being as he, but the very being of God is pure love. So by just being the pure love, he actually is. Automatically, all these things happen as they're meant to happen. Right. Thank you, Michael. So, in a sense, yes, God knows everything, but he doesn't know everything as we know it. We know everything as all this multiplicity. God knows it as it actually is, which is a pure being himself. So okay. God's knowledge of everything is far deeper, far clearer than our knowledge, because He doesn't see it as many things; He sees it as the one thing that actually exists, namely Himself.
1: So it's not that He He not we're not saying it when you say He doesn't know things; it's 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 basically not the way we know things.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That is, he knows everything we know, but He doesn't know it as we know it. Right. We know it as all this multiplicity. He knows it as I am. Right. He knows it as one. We know it as many. Right. He knows um, everything because he knows the only thing.
1: And then last question, which actually you answered in the most recently released video. However, I'll go ahead and ask it. <laughs> um, you know, in case you want to add any say, any insights to it, or you could explain the whole thing. Who is the one that is practicing, um, you know, um who is saranda or, or can entail anything, the ego or the mind? The
0: question is, who is the one that is
1: practicing the ego?
0: Ourself as ego. That is, all the problems are only for ourself. It's only when we raise as ego, we have problems. In sleep, we don't raise as ego, we have no problems. So re- there's no need to practice anything and there's no one in sleep to practice anything. All problems are only for ego. And we can... Um, so it's ego that needs to investigate and find out what it is. Who is it who doesn't... Who, who is it who knows itself as I am this body? It is ego. So ego needs to investigate itself to see who am I, see what it actually is. What it actually is, is nothing but the pure I. <coughs> I am I, that is the ultimate truth, not I am this or I am that, even I am Brahman is not ultimately true, because there are no two things, I am Brahman, there is only only I. That is the very purpose of the Mahavakyas is to make us understand that there is no such thing as Brahman other than I. So only all we need to meditate on is to meditate on I. brahma dhyana meditation on brahman is not meditating on some idea of brahman it's meditating on what brahman actually is what brahman actually is is i and nothing but i
1: thank you michael okay last question for which there is no real answer for will ask, (laughs) nagendra asks why is there this creation
0: To whom is this? Who says there is a creation? It is our self as ego. So, they, so long as we rise as ego, there seems to be a creation. So let us first, before trying to know what is known, let us first try to know the knower. If we don't even know the knower, whatever we know about the known is going to be false. So scientists are busy doing so much research on this world. It's fine. I mean that that's fine in the, from a vibaharika point of view. We need science and all these things, but are they ever going to find the truth? No. Because they what they are investigating is the appearance. They are not investigating to whom does it appear? To me. <laughs> Who am I? So we need to know Benoah. Bhagavan says in uh um in the um in the uh yeah. third verse of um of Anma he says, indri edu arihil en. That means uh without knowing oneself, if one knows whatever else, so what? That is what is the benefit of knowing other things if we don't even know ourselves? Without knowing the knower, whatever knowledge we have. Without knowing the reality of no- the knower, whatever knowledge we have is open to question. Because if, uh, if our knowledge of ourself is a wrong knowledge, whatever we know about other things, we're knowing through the filter of this wrong knowledge that we have of ourself. Now we know ourself as I am this body. That is a wrong knowledge of ourself. So whatever we know through the filter of this false awareness, I am this body, is also going to be false. So without knowing oneself, if one knows what whatever else, what is literally what it means, what here implies so what? What's the benefit? What is what how reliable is such knowledge when we don't even know ourselves? And then he goes on to say, um, Tane Arindidil uh, uh pin aria enne uludu. If one has known oneself, then what exists to know? That is, if we know ourselves as we actually are, there is nothing else for us to know, is the implication. So, knowing about creation, let us leave that till afterwards. Let us first find out about ourselves. If we know about ourselves, then we can see whether there's any creation to worry about. Sometimes people used to put this same question in another way, because Bhagavan said, creation appears only in the view of ego. Then people would say, okay, Bhagavan, why did this ego come into existence? Then Bhagavan said, first you go and find this ego. When you find the ego, bring it here. Then we can find out how it came into existence. If you go looking for ego, you will never find any such thing. Because as soon as you begin to seek it, Te Dinal as soon as you begin to look for it, it will run away. We seem to be ego only so long as we're looking outside. If we look within, has anyone ever seen ego? There's no such thing as to be found because we seem to be ego only when we don't look at ourselves. when we look at ourselves, there's no ego. There's only pure awareness. So if the, we if we look for ego, the one to whom all this creation seems to exist, e- we will find there's no such thing as ego at all. When there's no ego, there's also no creation. There is only such it, nothing but such it. I am
2: may I just ask one last one line yes. question? When you say look at ourselves, is that like an understanding? Not like looking- Underst-
0: huh. understanding is something the, we need the intellect to understand things mm-hmm. but it's more of an understanding it's seeing ourselves as we actually are of course it's not literally seeing but that's yeah. closest way. it's it, it being aware of ourselves as we actually are thank you it's a state of pure awareness so it's beyond understanding may, may, many, many of uh, the the uh, Lecturers of classical Advaita, they talk about understanding by by studying all these Upanishads and uh, Brahma Sutra and Bhagavad Gita and all the commentaries upon them. You need to understand. You need to, but it's not merely a matter of understanding. Whatever, however much we understand, we're still functioning through the mm. intellect. Mm. We need to actually see what we are. We need to actually be aware of ourselves as we actually are. Be aware of. Thank so you. when it is said in classical Advaita but the problem is avidya and the solution is vidya, that is, the problem is ignorance and ignorance can be removed only by knowledge, all the lecturers on classical Advaita, they will all say this time and time again, but they don't really understand what it means. Firstly, Bhagavan said, there's no such thing as avidya above an ego. Avidya mm. is itself ego. Because you cannot have ignorance without something that is ignorant. So the problem is that what is it that is ignorant? It is ego. E- Why is ego called avidya? Because ego is a false awareness of ourself. Avidya doesn't mean not knowing ourself. Because we always know ourself. We always know I am. But ego means knowing ourself wrongly. Knowing ourself as I am this or I am that. That is avidya. So a,
2: It is an intellectual... Misunderstanding.
0: It's an impl- emotional yes. problem. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's a mis- misunderstanding. So, but that's why Bowen came to point out what is the practical implication of all of these of uh, of uh, a, a Why didn't uh, Why am you punished? Is it said you are that? Not to go on about to To go on, um, what is that? What is I? And uh, uh, how is I that? And it's not all that. When it, they say you are that, but, but the, the aim of uh, of uh, Upanishads in saying you are that is to make us turn our attention back to to ourselves to see what am I? Who am I? But that that is missed by people. So they say that you that they. So they take a video to be something other than ego, and they think that by accumulating knowledge, by studying all these things and gaining understanding, they can remove avidya. But who is understanding? It's only ego, which is itself avidya. So how can avidya remove itself by understanding anything? Uh, Ego needs to turn within to see what it actually is. If it sees what it actually is, it will lose itself in what it actually is because ego is nothing but the false awareness, I am this body. When we turn within to see what we actually are, the body will drop down and the pure I am alone will remain. When we see ourselves as that pure awareness I am, ego is thereby destroyed and the pure awareness I am alone remains. So vidya is nothing but the pure awareness I am. Avidya is nothing but the false awareness, I am this body. To remove the false awareness, we who now experience ourselves as I am this body need to see ourselves as we actually are, as the pure awareness I am. That is why the practice, the correct practice of Advaita is who am I. Who am I means fixing our attention on ourself alone. Khalamam, uh uh, manate Armavil Atmavichara The name Atmavichara refers to, or is, is for um, uh, keeping our mind on, always keeping our mind on ourselves. That is what the practice is. That is what Advaita is all about. We can say it in another way. What is the correct practice of Advaita? Advaita means not to. One only without a second. So the only correct practice of a Dvaita can be self-attentiveness. Because attending to anything other than ourselves, attending to the Upanishads, attending to the commentaries, attending to the Bhagavad Gita or the Brahma Sutra, attending, attending to the uh, all that we learn from that, that's all Anya, Anya, we're attending to something other than ourselves. Only when we attend to nothing other than ourselves, ananya bhava, as Bhagavan calls it in verse 8 of Rupadesha that alone is true Advaita Abhyasa. Because in self-attentiveness, there are no two things. What is attending and what is being attended to are one and the same. And the attention by which it's attending is also the same thing. We are that. So this, is, this alone, what Bhagavan has shown, is alone the true practice of Advaita. So, Thank you, Michael. So if you want to know Advaita, you need not read the Upanishads, you need not read the Brahma Sutra, you need not even read the Bhagavad Gita, you need not read any commentary. You need to read Bhagavan's teachings. But even reading Bhagavan's teachings is not sufficient. You need to put Bhagavan's teachings into practice. Then only you will understand what is true a Advaita. So the beauty of Bhagavan's teachings is he has highlighted what is the practical implication of the core teachings of a Dwaita. When we understand the practical teaching of the practical implication of the core teachings of Advaita, 99.999% of Advaita sastras become redundant because all that matters is the practice. And in order to, to help us persevere in this practice, the only support we need is Bhagavan's own original writings. I'm not just Dutipanchikam, Upadesh, Undiya, Uludu, Nabdu, Nana, Amma, etc. These are all the support we need to uh, on our inward journey. Right. So Bhagavan has given us everything that is required. Right.
1: Um, Bhagavan's teaching is the practical aspect of Advaita.
0: Yes. And Advaita is nothing if it's not practical, but exactly. Bhagavan's teachings are pure a Right. because Advaita without practice is not Advaita at all. It's just yes. a set of nice ideas. Right. And yeah, ideas, right. is a ideas is not Advaita, ideas is multiplicity. Advaita means one only without a second, so we alone are Advaita. There cannot be any second thing.
1: Remember Swami Sadhu uh, mentioning somewhere, um, that Advaita is an Anubhava.
0: Yes, yes. It's
1: an experience. Yes. N- not some theoretical construct. Yes. So, yes.
0: But even Anubhava, we need to understand what is meant by an- Anubhava. It's not like one thing experiencing another thing. That it is, is a greater mean for one thing must experience itself alone. Right. It's being that.
1: Yeah.